This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. It's not even two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3 Triple R. This is Radio Maranau. I'm Anthony Boxall. I'm Dr Beach. Dr Beach. Dr Boxall, how are you going? I'm well. I'm very well. And you? Um, indeed, I am as well. I'm feeling pretty damn chipper this morning. It's one of those mornings. It is. Yeah, it is. Imagine. And we just had an hour of power with Bob. <laughs> like uh, Tim and Andrew, brilliant. We saw the, the, the big box set of Bob Dylan leaving the um, the studio. Yeah, on the forklift truck. Mm-hmm. So, it's so big. It was beep, beep, yep. beep, backing out that box set. I was just about to have another sip of my cup of tea, but I probably shouldn't do that since I'm on live <laughs> radio. Uh, remarkable. Yet again, Tim he just surpasses, he, he resets the bar every week and surpasses it. He does. He just, okay, okay, this beautiful high jump analogy of Tim out there kind of leaping. He's now doing, he must be up to around two and a half metres. Oh, easy. It's got to be a world record. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a world record. We loved him. Looking, um, looking forward to our show about all things wet and salty in the marine environment, as indeed this fair program, Radio Marinara, is on 3RRR. It is indeed. And we've got, we've got a bunch of news and views right from ships to, to youth to Antarctica to all kinds of stuff like that. And then, um, and Jeff, then Maynard's the, in. Jeff Maynard's in. He's going to have a marine soundscapes for us. We have no idea what it will I be don't. at the moment. That's, that's always the exciting thing about getting I, Jeff in the studio. Is. You just don't know what Jeff's been listening to during the week <laughs> and what he's been watching. You and, don't. And, and, and we cop it. <laughs> and, and, unadulterated, and, unfettered. Unfettered. Un, 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 unfettered Maynard. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we don't even know the context the topic no the, it's just oh, i love it completely I ignorant love it. i love it I, I love going into things blind <laughs> but one thing we do know though after all these years is it will be extraordinary 
<laughs> you just sit there and well, go, really? They did that? It will, it will change our lives. <laughs> so, so listeners, at 10 o'clock, well, at actually about quarter to 10 when Jeff has finished because Jeff's going to be done. He, he's doing segment two, usually at segment three. I know, he's sneaking at 9.30. Yeah, he's sneaking at 9.30. Um, our lives will be changed by 9.45. <laughs> they, they will indeed. And then at 9.45, Je- Jeff's going to hang around because um, we, we have a very special guest in, Paul Sorensen, who has just returned from a place about, I think it's about... 12, 13, 1400 K north of Papua New Guinea. It's called Chuck. What, or sometimes Truck, 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 Truck Lagoon. Um, site of a battle during the Second World oh, wow, War. Oh, wow, yeah, one of the battles. You know, <laughs> all, all of that. Um, so, so, do that again. What was that? Is that like the official historical sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sensational. I kind of hadn't thought of it like that, but that's really... You've got another career if that whole academic thing doesn't work out. I do. What academic thing? I don't do that. (laughs) All I do is radio. Once a fortnight, an hour. I've got a slack life. I just do an hour of radio every fortnight. (laughs) Oh, Um, don't we wish. Anyway, Truck Lagoon, um, Paul's been there, taken a trip there. They've gone diving. There's lots of... Lots of wrecks, lots of beautiful corals, all sorts of stuff. Would you say lots of wrecks? Let's talk to Paul because I think that's a bit, that's an understatement. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, a, it was a big yeah, battle. We're going to hear all about it. Um, that's going to be at quarter to ten. And Jeff's going to hang around the studio because um, he's been to truck as well. Of it's, course it's, it's, it's truck T-R-U-K, but it, I've been told oh, it's also that? chuck, C-H-W-K. You know what we can do at about 9.47 or 9.8.49... The four of us can have that conversation, and we can all we'll work out if any of us overlap in our in our preferred pronunciation of Trutlagoon. I'm really glad you said pronunciation then, because pronunciation is yeah. one of the most oftenly, oftenly can't even say that, but but one, one of the words which is <laughs> most, most oftenly, often, I'm not often sure that's mispronounced. English. Is it really? Well, a lot of people say pronunciation. Oh, don't you hate that? You know the I other one. I hate. I'm just sorry. Before you get into the weather, and sorry, listeners, we are going to talk about marine stuff. The other one is how many people. When they're trying to say adaptation, say adaption. Oh. There's no word. I don't even know. It's one of my things. It's like avocado and advocado. Oh, and come on, really? I've never heard that. Advocado? Really? Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. What's my, good my, these my, people going to? My ex-sister-in-law used to do that. <laughs> so let's talk about the weather. Okay, today <laughs> is, I'm looking at 7 to 18 degrees, partly ah. cloudy, light winds. Because, indeed, it is. It's gorgeous it is out there. The out. It's got to be that already. If you haven't it's poked your nose out from under the doona, it's, it's good. Uh, partly cloudy, light winds becoming southeast 15 to 20k in the morning, then tending south 20 to 30k in the oh, early really? afternoon. It um, doesn't feel like that at all. Mm, less than one millimetre of rain, so perhaps a tiny sprinkle today. As indeed we're looking at for the majority of the rest of the week. Well, in fact, all all through the next Saturday, again, we, we keep getting this tiny bit of like less than one millimetre of rain, tiny sprinkle. But it's looking yeah, like it kind of 17 degrees, 16 degrees, 19. Well, it's getting a bit warmer later yeah. on the week, 19, oh, 21, oh, brilliant. 24. Oh. Next Saturday, 27. Oh, so that's good. See, I've I felt like this has been a kind of a fake November. It's been like, you know, kind of just a little bit of kind of dipping back into winter just to remind us. Damn straight. It's been, and, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's only 12, chilly yesterday. It's only 12, almost 13 at the moment. And I'm telling you, it feels wonderful. Mm. Like it's beautiful. It's just clear. There's blue sky everywhere. It's, oh, I was amazed when I got up. It's, it's my perfect climate, Anth. I mean, I, I really <laughs> enjoy this. Crisp blue days. Yeah, me and too. I'm, I'm not... 
bit. I, I don't like it when it gets when it gets up above. You know, you know, like you know that. what that says about us. That's it. We are Melbourne people. I guess I had a mate who went and lived up in Brisbane for a while. He was a Melbourne through and through. And he, when I went to visit him at one point, and he and I said, "Oh, it's beautiful." It was like twenty four in the middle of winter, and it was thirty, thirty two in summer. And he said, "Oh my god, it's awful." I said, "What do you mean?" <laughs> he said, "It's terrible. It's twenty three every day, all day, and then summer it's thirty to thirty two every day, all day, and it never bloody changes." <laughs> and I said, "Oh." Right, and he said, no, I just want it to rain or be crappy and overcast and then sunny an hour later. He said, you're from Melbourne. <laughs> and we love it. it, it it's that, part that, of our personality, that, isn't that it? That does happen when you live in Brisbane. No, those winters yeah. can be bloody oh, boring. All the same. Yeah. 23, who wants that? Anyway, sorry. We're, that, that's all right. This is the longest weather forecast we've had. Um, well, it's, it's still going. I'm now going to give you the tides. <laughs> um, at, so high tide at Point Lonsdale at Lonnie. Um, high tide is at one thirteen this afternoon, and it's going to be a one point four two metre tide for those who care about that. Well, yeah, well that's uh, yeah, that's bigger than one point one. It, it is yeah. indeed, and and it was low tide. Just in case you're interested, in what happened in the past at six forty eight a.m. this morning, that? At 0.064 metres. Uh, that's a, a, a lowish one. Swell net for what it's worth. Surfing conditions are reasonable with light onshore winds. Um, moderate swell is favouring talkers. Wet. Water, no, wet temperature. Water temperature. Water temperature is 16 degrees, which would... That's oh. analogous to a wet temperature, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Water yeah. temperature. It's kind of on the degrees. way up-ish, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't hit the, the real spring warmth yet. Now, do you want to kick off with the maritime... Before we do that, the, yeah. Orb Weave has reminded me of... Um, I, I went to the museum on Friday night. They have a thing which... And this is a, an unashamed a plug for the museum, it's Victoria. It's fantastic. Nocturnal, thing. it's called. Yeah. Friday night's first Friday night of the month. Uh, where you go along and they had various bands playing. They had Gold Class playing about a month ago. They had um, some people playing whose name I forget on Friday night, which is terrible, I'm sorry. <laughs> what a great ad. I'm <laughs> just going, hey, I'm glad that God did that ad. <laughs> but it was great. We had a wander around and I was watching, um, went to the to the arthropod section, I reckon, where they had lots of beautiful beetles, spiders, oh, amazing, all sorts of stuff. And they had this wonderful display of how a spider builds its web. yes. I was there a the couple of weeks back with um, my two youngest kids and, it, yes, it's remarkable that we didn't go to Nocturnal because it's under eight, it's over eight. That's right, yeah, yeah. I, I was looking at this having yeah. a glass of red in my hand. Yeah, so uh, my seven-year-old was really disappointed when he realised he wasn't allowed to go out at night. We said, no, I think it's only for mums and dads and other people. I thought you were going to say he was disappointed because he couldn't have a glass of red in his hand. I may have been too, but I didn't have that conversation. Do you want to talk about maritime shipping? Uh, yeah, so this is um, <laughs> so from this week's Nature editorial. I like reading the editorial of Nature. Yeah. I generally like reading the editorial of lots of things. Um, this is entitled Seaworthy, and it's um, global regulations to limit carbon emissions of the shipping industry are overdue, says the editor of Nature. Ships move our stuff around. Yeah. Um, lots of them. There's about half a million ships in operation at any one time, and they move around pretty efficiently. By the way, about ninety percent of our consumer goods. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, there is a cost to that. Of course, I mean it's not as energetically as expensive as flying stuff around, but nevertheless, it still consumes about or accounts for two to three percent of our global emissions. So that's the that's the emissions of Germany. Yeah, every year wow. coming out from the shipping industry. And it's very little regulation. So it's outside the, the climate deals. So that's the, the, the carbon Paris, emissions, though. The carbon right? emissions. Because yeah. there are other emissions because that fuel is a dirtier fuel. 
the, often that as well. well and, and there's also other stuff in there. There's like you know the ballast water control. Mm-hmm. And by the way, before I get on, before I go any further with this, <laughs> the International Maritime Organization, who is trying to now talk about putting a cap on the carbon emissions yeah, of right. shipping, which yeah, is okay. difficult, they have successfully um, got together an international convention for the. Pre- um, Prevention of the spread of harmful species. So you might remember we've talked about this on the show before, that in yeah, ballast yeah. water, ships will take on water at one port, say in Japan, come to Tasmania, offload that ballast before they onload wood chips or whatever they did in the past, and that spreads all sorts of um, feral plants, Well, things that animals. didn't belong there. Yeah, things that yep. didn't belong there. So now the International Maritime Organisation, which is a branch of the United Nations, is trying to um, to set a cap on the um, on the emissions that come from ships, but this is a pretty hard thing to do because you can imagine. Oh yeah. Oh god. Yeah. I mean, how do you actually monitor all those ships that are out there? People will want to fly under the radar, as it were. Well, so, I mean, you know, particularly with a lot of issues about you know registering in flags of convenience and blah blah blah. And they, wow, how wow, regulating that one's going to be interesting. It certainly will. Um, and there hasn't been so since the. Um, global financial crisis about 10 years ago. Shipping has kind of died off a little bit, but so there's a lot of... But it's, it's moving back up now as businesses, you know, we start to buy more stuff, crap, then a lot more <laughs> of this happening. So there's a whole bank of ships there just ready to go. So as soon as we start ramping up and wanting to move more stuff around, there's ships there ready to go to burn more fuel to do all of this. And, of course, as you will know from reading the Traveller section of The Age on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings, the cruise industry is just going gangbusters. I mean, all these cashed-up superannuants, all they want to do is go out and have a cruise. And so there's a lot of shipping which is happening. And the IMO has thought, well, we need to now bring this into the climate accord we need to start talking about how interesting if we can put a stop on this essentially all this this um editorial i'm reading from nature is saying this is going to be a pretty hard ask how are we going to do it we're more or less going to have to ask for voluntary regulation of this self-regulation um it could be that we have um ports which are or regulating sort of regulating bodies within countries who are looking after their own ships, putting a cap on lower speeds or enforcing lower speeds. I can't imagine that happening out on the high waters, on the open waters of and the so, oceans. So because so there's actually just more emission when they go. They're, so they're actually not oh, efficient. Yeah, like, the engines are not efficient. Yeah. So, so the you, faster you go, the more you emit. Like we do in a car. Should, I suppose that's true. So if we travel at 100 kilometres yeah, an hour, we're burning more fuel yeah, yeah. over that distance than we are if we travel at 60 kilometres yeah, an hour. Yeah, of course. The slower you go, the more efficient you are at up to a certain point. And so too with shipping. So it's a call for having a control on all of this. And Yeah, well, that's good on them. Yeah, good on them. Of course. Yeah. I've, I've got a call of they're, a different they're, sta- they're starting the conversation. Yeah, yeah, and good on them too because, you know, as you say, size of Germany, they had a mission profile. Even though Germany's pretty good. I mean, they have... Um, yeah, well, they do. Yeah, they're better than we are. Extraordinary take-up of um, solar panels. Yeah. In a country that has nowhere near as much sunlight as we do. About 60% impact in, in, um, in road to the market or something, you know, like domestics with solar panels, even though that probably doesn't get over 20, you know. Anyway, in parts of Germany... It's embarrassing. It's just flat-ass embarrassing. Hey, but I'm not going to start talking about it, Danny, so because... So, hang on. I did that, no, because I'm going to talk about World Oceans Day and the Youth Leaders Council, the Youth Advisory Council. Do you know what World Oceans Day is? Tell me. 
So you know the 8th of June, the World Oceans Day, every year it's to focus on a, a different, has a different theme every year. We always cover it on there and we have done for 20-something years. And um, World Oceans Day is that one day in the year we think about the ocean, we think about what we can do and we can... And the theme is great because it catalyzes people to get involved in, in thinking about oceans. What I did not realise, and I even though I've been doing this for so long, is World Oceans Day, the entity, I mm. suppose, has a youth advisory council. Hmm. Yeah, and so every and these these this youth advisory council is um, basically helps frame what World Oceans Day does, and so they um, and I'll tell you what they do now. There's 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 a there are is, is this a, a international youth yeah, advisory council? Yeah, that's exactly. So, I was going to say so. They're between sixteen and twenty two. So that's all, what they're looking for from all, all over the, the world. Shop. So I've just been in looking at. They've got um, someone from the US. Curacao, which is in the Caribbean, Australia, come back to her, um, Portugal, Canada, Trinidad and Tobago, Indonesia, Morocco, India and Germany. Nice one. Isn't that amazing? And so anyway, they want to add 10 new young ocean leaders from around the world. So if you are between 16 and 22 and you care about anything to do with the ocean, now's your chance to get involved in an international um, movement, World Oceans Day. That's fantastic. We're putting out a call. Yeah. For 16 to 22 year olds who are deeply interested. And, and they're, they're, what they're trying to do, so they started with 11 in 2016. It's the first time they put it in 2016, so this is why I missed it. And then um, they're doubling it. So I really want to add another. And so I'll give, you can go onto their site, which is, which is great. It's worldoceanstate.org, you know, and then you can click in their Youth Advisory Council, blah, 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 and you can actually just find out what you need to find out about it. But the, um, and there's a handbook and all that kind of hoober hoober. You can mm. find out all that kind of stuff. And, and if you read the little bios, these are fantastic. And, and a lot of these youth are on the youthful end of youth. They're more like the 16, 17-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, and some of them are kind of at university and a bit older. But I would – so if you are between 16 or 22 or you're related to or you know someone between 16 or 22, you've got till December 1 to get your application in to be, to be join the Youth Advisory Council. Now, you've got to actually make a two-year commitment – Yep. So it's a real commitment. And it means about ten, five to ten hours a month. So I have a 15-year-old, so all he'd need to do would be play a little less Clash of Clans one day. Right, same, <laughs> same with my 15-year-old. He could play a lot less, um, what is it, Counter-Strike, I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a little bit more grim than Clash of Clans. All his friends are going through this retro phase oh, of okay. Clash of Clans because they played it when they were seven. Now they're playing it again anyway. They were getting distracted again. <laughs> yeah, but, but back to so this. World Oceans, Ocean. But, but what a fantastic, to state the bleeding obvious, Anthony, what a fantastic day to have, a, what a fantastic thing to have a youth advisory yeah. council rather yeah. than the jaded old... Farts like you and me. Exactly. That's what you were going to say, wasn't I, it? I was, I you was looking for a nice yeah, word like farts. Yeah, like you are going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to stick that on our... I'm going to stick that on Facebook. So if you know anybody who would fit that description or you think might, just flick them, flick them the link because they're probably not on Facebook because their grandparents are. So and they're probably not <laughs> listening to this show because, <laughs> because it's their parents... Far, it's all farts <laughs> like us. It's their parents listening. So the parents, when you're listening to this, tell your 15 to 16, 16 to 22-year-old... Or, or, you know, or someone you know. Hey, so Kamala, I'm going to jump because we're going to. I want to talk about Kamala. What's Kamala? Kamala, Kamala, Cam Kamala. Yeah, Hammond Spearman, Kamala. No, it's not that. Um, The Commission for the Conservation of the Antarctic Living Marine Living Resources. It's a it's a commission that is a sub 
set of UNESCO? No, actually, I think it's an independent commission that just popped up, mm-hmm. and it's all the countries that have an interest in um, the Antarctic, which is a remarkable number of countries. Oh, God, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff down there. There potentially. is 24 countries plus mm-hmm. the EU. So yeah. that if you add the EU, that's like another twenty. Oh, well, we, even the Scandinavians are interested. Oh in uh, yeah, oh yeah. Norwegians, uh, the Russians, Russians claim a chunk of. Come on, hmm. and China, of course, because it's so damn close. Yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, Kemla has been the, is the the way because it's a common. No one owns the Southern Ocean or the Antarctic or all the bits around. Not even the people that claim territory own it under international law. Right. So. What, what it is, this is Kamala is the entity by which the countries who claim any Antarctic involvement come together and actually discuss what's going on in the rules, which can and can't do. Okay. And um, anyway, about, oh gosh, 2002, I think it was, they started the conversation led by the UK, interestingly enough, um, and then a few countries like Australia and a couple of others joined pretty early on to make East Antarctica or to make MPAs, Marine Protected Area. Anyway, they met in Hobart last week um, to talk about this and it's about a million square kilometres, this last version or the latest version of an East Antarctic MPA. Mm -hmm. Now, on the upside, they're getting much, much closer to it, to agreement. On the downside, there are two recalcitrant countries who um, never seem to want to join in. So um, the first MPA was discovered, in, it, was, it was set in 2009, uh, and that was the South Orkney Islands. And that was a relatively easy one because no one fished or wanted to drill for anything around it, <laughs> <laughs> like frankly. Um, and Are then, the South Orkneys off South America? Down yeah, part, down yeah, that way, yeah. But the way. POMs found it, so... It's called South Orkney. Yeah, um, like the Falklands. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in 2016, it, it basically they just they, they negotiated the world's largest marine park, 1.55 million kilometres in the Ross Sea. Um, the only reason they got that one through is because um, in the end, the Chinese who were holding out negotiated to have a krill fishing zone in the Ross Sea. Right. The fact is the Chinese do not have a krill fishing fishery, but they were just thinking ahead. <laughs> um, well, yeah, we might in the future. Um, and so anyway, in 2012, um, we and France and the EU... We being Aust- Australia, Australia. ...put forward, this is 2012, put forward the East Antarctic Park and it was going to cover 1.8 million square kilometres. Anyway, there were seven zones and it's been scaled now back to three and they've lost about 800,000 square kilometres, basically because countries kept holding out. So, so in this East Antarctic zone that was yep. put forward as a, an MPA, who had the, I mean, uh, not, not ownership rights, but the... No one. No, no one. This is the point. This is the point. There is, it's a common and it's the classic tragedy of the commons where everyone owns it and no one owns it. Yeah. And so in order for there to be rules, there has to be this agreement, agreement internationally. Yeah. So it's a really remarkable kind of approach. Anyway, they were meeting in um, Hobart last week and unfortunately they didn't progress to the announcement but they scaled back to one million square kilometres and it's got zones and there's high protection and medium protection and it drops off but it gets whittled down every time because hold out countries and I'll, let me let me let me tell you the major countries sorry I've got a there's a heap of them okay but Argent so uh, uh, the early the early innovators in terms of the protection were the UK and then the early ones to come on board were the um, the US and Belgium Australia New Zealand Argentina 
uh, Norway, Italy, you know, France, so all these interesting countries that have nothing to do with Antarctica. And even um, Brazil and South Africa, they all came on board pretty early on. Korea. Anyway, there's two old... The, the last ones to come on, let me get... Let, the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, Namibia... Right. Japan, and there's two holdout countries. Have a guess who they are. China and Russia. Bingo. It's all about fisheries and yeah, um, yeah. and potential mineral So, So it's an MPA, Marine Protected Area. So yeah. it is the marine area as an MPA is that we normally understand. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. include the land bit where there no, might no, be potential. No, yeah. no, no, no. Well, the whole land is a... Is a is protected uh, has protection, yeah. but you can do things on it. You can't drill, you can't mine Antarctica. That's under Kemmler. That's good. Thank you for reminding me about yeah. that. Yeah. No. So there you go. So anyway, that was an interesting. It would look. It promised. It looked like maybe they're going to get there, but they just haven't. But of course, you know, no. It's been. Yeah. But they they're still chipping away. But just think about that scale of time. What are we? Two thousand seventeen. Fifteen years from the first conversations <laughs> about this to then, it's still going. Nothing moves quickly in international diplomacy, does it? And this meeting was in Hobart last week. Yeah, it was. It was in Hobart. We welcome into the studio. We still don't have a a promo music. I don't think. No, we don't. We We don't. Work on something. We welcome into the studio, young Jeff Maynard. Good morning. Good morning. I was listening to my rap on the way in. You you give me a big rap as I was driving in in the car, listening. Yes. Did did, 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 you flush a little bit? I did actually. Did a a blush. Horn and. Round the window down, did the oh, wait, big sort yeah. of trucky symbol, you know, pulled the horn thing out the window and shouted at people in North Melbourne and uh, it was all good. But uh, yeah, I thought, no, you don't know what I'm bringing in and half the time yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. It's sort of a non-segue segue today because I'm actually going to try and incorporate a little bit of diving history, Ooh. a little bit of Victoria's Surf Coast mm-hmm. and a little bit of The Saint with Simon Templer. Because oh, they oh. do, they are all connected. They are connected. Oh, well, you're going to tell us how, aren't you? Everyone's <laughs> probably sitting going, oh, that's so obvious. <laughs> we'll that, that again. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. Now, look, the saint was the brainchild of a fella called Leslie Bauer Yin, Y-I-N, who had oh. a, a Chinese father and a uh, British mother, and he changed his surname to Charteris, uh, named himself after a 17th century aristocrat it's, Scott. It's, it's, it sounds very... It was a bit dubious. Yeah, and, and in, 19, in one of his, 19, well, his 1928 novel, he introduced a character called Simon Templer, who was a young man, a bit of a rogue, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the first anti-heroes. And uh, Templer was always sort of meeting attractive women and sort of helping them out of a jam or helping them into bed. <laughs> and he became very popular, and so you had a lot of Simon Templer. And I've got this first bit is... Uh, is uh, from a radio serial with Simon Templer. Now, what happened with this one? Uh, they made a radio series and they had Vincent Price doing oh, yeah, the voice right. of um, Simon Templer. But after a while, every so often, Vincent Price would have to run off and make a movie. So they have a Vincent Price sound a lot <laughs> playing the saint. And I don't know the guy's name, but it's Peter something or other. So this is the Vincent Price sound alike meeting the girl in the 1930s. But is this You've got a question, Dr. B. I, 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 I put your hand up. Yeah, I'm putting my hand up. Good, Please, sir. That's right. A few more vols there, Ant. Um, I was putting it down because there's too many questions here, Dr. B. <laughs> yeah. 
Is this before we have Roger Moore in the yeah, TV I'll get show? This is not the, the the book. It was called the. He wrote a lot of books. This book. This was the story called Saint Overboard. It's, it was written in nineteen or published in nineteen thirty six. So it's pre scuba. Wow. Yeah. And, right. and Saint's on his boat, and he meets this mysterious woman who swims across and joins his boat. And this is not Vincent Price, but this someone pretending Vincent to be Vincent yeah. Price. Okay, let's go. So you're the saint. I've read all about you. I'm flattered. Well, there's no need. It's only in the way of business. I'm a detective. Are you just? Well, there's a racket running today that steals millions. It's been going for years. I couldn't begin to guess how much money has been taken out of it since it began. I know, darling, but you can't do anything about it. It's called income tax. Oh, do be serious. An American salvage ship went out to search a wreck off Cape Charles, the Merida, which sank in uh, 1911 Mm. and took the Emperor Maximilian's crown jewels to the bottom with her. Another million-pound cargo. They found the ship, but the cupboard was bare and fish don't wear jewellery. <laughs> so the good old Simon Temple. No, fish is, don't wear jewelry. No, I've noticed that. Noticed that. That, that that nice voice. He cut them open. They probably swallowed half of it. But um, um, so so I got to say I didn't hear a lot of Vincent Price in the Vincent Price. No, he wasn't. Really, he wasn't <laughs> yeah, earning okay. his eight dollars. This no, guy he really you no. know he into the studio. No, no, it was uh, it wasn't very Vincent Pricey. But anyway, in this drama, Simon is roped into a sort of a salvage thing where. People um, steal gold from sunken ships. And in 1930s, pre-scuba, you basically had your, your big diving helmets and you had sort of Iron Man suits, which were big sturdy yeah. things that allow you to go deeper. So Simon goes and meets Professor Somebody or Rather, who's based <laughs> on some of the guys in the 90s, some of the professors in the 1930s who are going down nice and deep in their diving suits. And this guy's got a weird name that's half sort of diving uh, chamber and half suit, Professor Somebody or Rather. Okay, here we go. Uh, excuse me, this is the world-famous Professor Yule. Oh, uh, how do you do? <laughs> My name is Fogel. Won't you join us, Mr... Um... Toombs. Thank you. And you, Professor Yule. Uh, you must find it quite relaxing after all the excitement. Oh, uh, you've heard of me. Who hasn't? It must have been an amazing experience. Oh, fascinating. And uh, rather frightening. Not to say uncomfortable. Perhaps you don't know that the temperature of water falls rapidly the further down you go. At 5,000 feet below the sea, it's only a few degrees above freezing. I'm installing extra heating in my next bath stall. You're going down again, then? Oh, I've only just started. I hope to get down twice as far with a new model. And even that's nothing. If some of the latest alloys turn out all right, we may be able to have a look at the Cape Verde Basin. Over 3,000 fathoms. 3,000 fathoms. 3,000 fathoms. That's a long way down for then. Now, you'll you'll probably notice he said his name was Tombs. uh, Mm -hmm. Simon Templer was so famous, a rogue internationally, that he's he's incognito in this story. Of course. So he's got to call himself Simon Tombs. But Yule, what, what Yule? That's it, Professor Yule. Doesn't yeah, it kind prefer- of mean anything? No, no it okay. doesn't. No, no, and neither does the Bathurst, whatever. Uh, no, it is. I might, might be an allusion to Christmas, Yule time. Yeah, you think? Yeah. The, the what was it was the Bathurst, bl- the Bathurst spot? What did he call it? Uh, he called it Bathurst something. Yeah. It's normally Bathurst sphere. Scape or Bathurst, Bathurst Sphere, sphere anyway, yeah, yeah. which is uh, deep, deep sphere or, yeah. or deep boat or something. 
Anyway, The Saint was too good not to uh, go to the movies. First movie was 1938. Lots of famous people played it. George Sanders. Huh. Uh, and then in 1960s, of course, they started making a TV series, which is where Roger Moore came in. Uh, of it was course. originally offered to Patrick McGowan, who would have been a great saint, mm. a prisoner and, um, and uh, danger man, Patrick McGowan. But uh, uh, Ice Station Zebra as well. Wasn't he? Yes, one of my favourite movies, Patrick McGowan. That, that, that's, that. that's a good Marine film. Yeah, that's a good Remember one. Remember the camouflage? I actually done that. The camouflage? No, we should do that. We next should do time. Ice Station. Ice Station Zebra. Alistair McLean book. Yeah. The 16 to 22 year olds who listen <laughs> yeah, to this show a lot. Can we stay on track, guys? Anyway, Patrick McGowan, Simon Templar. He gets into. Uh, he, he, Professor, whatever his name yeah, was, Yule. we don't know. Yule um, show, shows him this new invention. Yep. So let's have a listen to Here how, how it all works. Good God. Uh, it looks like some robot from Mars. It's beautiful, isn't it? Combination of a sphere and a diving suit. Uh, they lower me in through the top. Can you actually move about in it? Oh, quite well, really. It looks a great deal heavier than it is. Underwater, the air inside reduces the weight quite a lot. And it's made from a new lightweight alloy. 75% lighter than anything in the past. And as strong as tempered steel. What sort of pressures do you meet down there? Well, at uh, 3,000 feet, more than half a ton to the square inch. In an ordinary diving suit, you'd be crushed to a pulp. <laughs> uh, go down in it yourself, if you like, and prove how comfortable it is. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I'll take your word for it. I would too. I would too. Now, I'll just, I've just got to throw in a bit of trivia here because that's really what we're all about. Um, uh, Roger Moore, his second movie role was playing Cyril Lawrence. He only got a bit part. And that Cyril Lawrence was the brother of Marjorie Lawrence. Now, you'll all know who she was. She was a famous opera singer. She she? came from Winchelsea in Victoria. Oh, Oh, yes, yes, They made the the movie Interrupted Melody because she contracted polio, but the movie actually starts in Winchelsea. She's running around. There you go. Goes on to become. And he played her brother. So he's running around Winchelsea in Victoria. So when you drive down. And actually, when you drive down the surf coast, as you often do, uh, as you go into Winchelsea, you sort of go down the hill. But on on the right hand side, as you're going into. Sorry, yes, right. Yeah, it's the right hand side. Is the old theatre that her, Marjorie Lawrence's father owned, and it's still an old like hall theatre. I know the one. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. Last time we did that, went down through the Pollock and then yeah, yeah, checked it out. Who's the old Marjorie Lawrence? Yeah. And then educated herself via yeah. the phone. So anyway, Roger. Moore, uh, so, Roger so how did we join? So so Marjorie because of the because Roger Moore was in that. He movie, was in the movie with her Mallory, brother. Play, played her brother in that movie. That is the most direct link I've ever had. Yeah. Now I feel connected to Roger Moore. You do, don't you? Yeah. And. Uh, Moore, Moore played Bart Maverick in the TV series. Yeah. He was the English cousin in Bart Maverick, which was a, a, a role that was knocked back by Sean Connery. Oh. Bart Maverick. But when Moore started doing The Saint... The stuff you learn on radio. Oh, no, Stay with me, guys. When Moore started doing The, <laughs> yeah. Saint, the Saint TV series in 1962, mm. he knocked back the first role of James Bond. <gasps> he didn't. Uh, he did. And they gave, they gave it to Sean Connery. Connery. But then when Sean well, Connery got sick of it, Roger Moore actually had finished The Saint and come back as sort of the, yeah, but that uh, was the, after the 70s James Bond in the flares and the purple. Yeah, shirt. but that was after George did that fantastic. Oh, yeah, I George, mean, no, best, best James Bond ever. Anyway, yeah, look, yeah, um, yeah. We've, have we played? Yeah, we've seen the thing. Anyway, yeah, the, gonna, the good thing yeah, about The Saint, he was a, an anti-hero. So he if, if someone got in his way, he wasn't sort of nice about it. Or, he just murdered them. Yeah. And... In behind, um, old Professor What's-His-Face has been murdered in this radio serial because they sent him down. They basically wanted his invention, so they sent him down and they sabotaged the oxygen (gasps) bottles and he dies. 
and then the Vogel, who is the bad guy, yeah. uh, is going down in the diving suit to get the, the, the gold and the saint jumps in the other diving suit. Because there's two. Because there's course, two diving suits. there are always two. There's always two diving yeah, yeah, suits yeah. on eBay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the saint goes down and basically goes down to murder Vogel. <laughs> We're not going to be nice about this. Okay. So let's hear the saint. Okay, let's hear the end Fake Vincent Price Vogel. murdering the bad guy. I began to cut through the fibres of Fogel's line. At that moment, I saw the top of Fogel's helmet emerge. I moved nearer and brought my helmet close to his until barely six inches separated our front windows. His black, burning eyes widened into pools of horror. His hands groped round and found the loose trailing ends of his severed line. His mouth twisted in the shape of soundless words that no human ear would ever hear. Then I slashed my knife clean through the pipe, feeding him oxygen. He fell, toppling backwards, his arms waving, his hands clutching at the yielding water. So oh, we dear. just got rid of So Saint just gets rid of Vogel. Oh. That's, that's a very evocative description of a murder. It is, it isn't, is it? isn't it? You know, and... and uh, After Roger Moore finished The Saint, uh, it was revived a number of times. Probably the worst version had uh, Val Kilmer playing playing The Saint. That was awful. But an Australian, Andrew Clark, who's been in lots of Neighbours and um, Blue Heelers and all that sort of stuff, he made a pilot playing The Saint too. But uh, I've never seen that one. So I think I've successfully um, brought out a lot of irrelevant material. (laughs) You've sucked as much as you can. Killed a good 12 to 13 minutes, guys. Well done. Yeah, you're well done. Oh, that is sensational. I now know more about The Saint than I probably thought I'd ever wanted and to. And can I just say, it's a segue into Truck Lagoon. It, it, yeah. it's, it's often spelt C-H-U-U-A. Oh, okay. We're going to talk this, about this uh, later. And I'd like to welcome to the studio Paul Sorensen, who has just recently come back from, from Truck. How are you going, Paul? Good, thanks, Pete. Thank you. Dr. Beach. Oh, so Dr. Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who is that other person? We never know that other person. Truck Lagoon is about what 12, 13, 1400 k north of Papua New Guinea. In yep. the um, can you call that the South Pacific or is that kind of Melanesia or it's something? Melanesia. Micronesia, yeah. Micronesia. Now, can we can we ask, can we all do a poll? How do we all pronounce the name of the lagoon? I say truck. I, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm completely ignorant. I just look at it and say truck, okay, chook. Chook. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, being the historian here, it was. It was, <laughs> was Chuck, which was C H U U K, and then it became Americanized to uh, Truck T R U K, and then it became Australianized to Chook. <laughs> so, so we just say Chook Lagoon now. Chook Lagoon. Yeah, or the Chook I love pen, it. I know. love it. Yeah, you go dive the Chook yeah. Pen. Excellent. There we go. So, so why is it? Why did you go there, Paul? And Jeff, you, you've been there a couple I've, of times I've as well. Recreational so, dive there a couple. So of times I'd like this yeah. to be like an open conversation to educate me, the ignorant one here in the studio, about Chuk Lagoon. Well, Chuk uh, was taken over by the Japanese in the 1920s. Um, uh, set up base there, uh, and then in 1944, after the Japanese went and bombed Pearl Harbor, the Americans came and. Found the Japanese in Chuk and and brought their revenge. 
In the 1930s, basically, because America and, and Japan were, you know, arguing over the Pacific, they didn't have aeroplanes that could fly from, say, America to Japan and bomb the crap out of Japan and fly back. So they had to have bases established across the Pacific where they could get closer to the enemy and have their thing. And, of course, America had... Uh, that was why they, they took over Hawaii. Mm. They, they had their Navy base and their aircraft carriers there. And, and the, the Japan's... Um, version of it. Version yeah, of it, if you it was like. It was the, the Chook Island, which is, I think, a, a, a pretty much a, a, a volcano. Sort it's of an asshole, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they said, that's our one. They, said, they had a huge and amount of ships and planes. I was going to say, and then there was an enormous... When the Americans came back to wreak their revenge, there was an enormous amount of naval infrastructure sunk. 50 ships, 270 planes, mm. um, lots of lives lost... Uh, Goodness. Just yeah, devastation. And, and until you get under the water at Truck, you don't see it all. You see this nice, idyllic island community and then you get under the water and there's wrecks everywhere. And it's mm. an amazing place to dive, really. Mm. It, it, you've both dived and I haven't, of course, Anthony hasn't. Describe a little bit for us what it's like when you get under the water and you see these... But the, there's the, the, the entombment, I guess, of, of many people from the war. Uh, it's it makes you think a lot about what actually happened there. The wrecks, you can swim through big holes in the bottom of ships where a torpedo's gone through it, and you, you actually think about then what it would have been like being on that ship at that time. Um, plane wrecks in shallow water, like people were flying those planes when they went down. Um, uh, the whole history of the place is is insane, really. Mm. Mind blowing, I can imagine. It, it just, uh, you would have the, the the roar of the planes and the and the bombs hitting the water, just coursing through your brain as you're under there. Yeah, and, and the, is the what struck me the couple of times I've been there to die is the variety of the wrecks because you've got everything where the the huge ships are. St- basically sunk in shallow water, half of them sticking up. You can sort of walk on the deck and then dive into the hold and swim through the hold and there's jeeps and cars and parts, aeroplane parts and you're sort of swimming around things and uh, you, you go to one of the islands for lunch and you're sort of, while you're having, degassing a bit, you'll go for a snorkel and there'll be an aeroplane. You can almost, you know, hold your breath and dive down and sit in, sit in the thing and come back up again. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a quite... Paul says it's just incredible to... Uh, and the whole it, thing... It is the sort of mecca for, for wreck divers in many yeah, ways. For sure, know. yeah. And the whole thing is an international war grave, isn't it? It's the biggest you know, war yeah, grave yeah. in the world, yeah. But, yeah. but nevertheless, divers can explore this unfettered, if you like. There, yeah. There's no... Yeah, there's a no-take, no no touch, no-take rule, I think, and, yeah. and same as on the Coolidge and all those things. It's you know, Lots of naughty people stick things in their BC pocket, but they're not supposed to, you know. The Japanese came back and uh, got a lot of their uh, bones and artefacts and took yeah. it back home to Japan. Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is gone, yeah. uh, and some people do take stuff that they yeah. shouldn't, but there's still a lot of stuff there to see. A yeah, lot of an enormous am- amount. Ammunition... Guns, yeah. periscopes for submarines. Yeah. Um, I, I saw an image of a tank when I, in my, yeah. my, my deep research doing Google image search. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they had quite small Japanese Looked tanks. a bit like a decorator crap. And, um, <laughs> just and, more deadly. Yeah, yeah, just more deadly. Yeah, but the most important thing about diving Truck Lagoon is um, coming back with the right T-shirts because you've sort of got bragging rights when you've got all your T-shirts with the <laughs> I dived the something or rather Maru, you know. And San all Francisco. This yeah, 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 San Francisco Maru. And we're running out of 45 metres or something. We're running out of time here rapidly. But just tell me very quickly, it's a coral atoll, I guess. Yes. Um, 
coral in good nick there? Is it a beautiful biology as well as this archaeological history? No, not there's a lot of bleaching, uh, <laughs> especially in the shallows there. A lot of corals are turning white. Uh, there is some good growth, but, yeah, there's uh, the impact. Uh, there's a lot of oil leaking from the ships and, and there's going to be a big catastrophe soon. Mm. Uh, I wonder why there's not more research happening there because uh, it is a lagoon and, and there's going to be a lot of oil released there. Uh, so there should be a lot more research done there, I think, on the impacts in a, in a lagoon. Mm. Mm. Well, that's a whole other... I, I want to get back to that. We're not going to get to the fascinating part of the conversation, but unfortunately we have to make room for um, the doctors who are coming on in about they, 45 they're seconds. They're amassing. They're amassing. Um, Paul, thank you very much for coming in and talking, albeit briefly, about your excursion to, to Chuck Lagoon or Truck Lagoon. Uh, Jeff Maynard for Marine Soundscapes and letting us... Well, reminding us about Simon Templar. That's such a beautiful thing. And, Anthony, I always love doing radio with you. Um, you too, Dr. Beach. Now, next week, I don't know who's in the bronze back. Is John in? Goodness, I can't recall. Bron- bronze back? Yes, um, definitely. And, 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 and our John, John Ford. Yeah, he'll be, he'll be joining us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And anyway, to all of you out there, have a lovely day. I'm going to get on my bicycle now. I know. Have a gorgeous day. Bye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.